following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. Our sermon text is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We'll be reading this morning verses 6 through 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let's pray. Father, this morning we do not come into your presence lightly. We don't come as if it's a routine, as if it's just what we do at this time in the service. We don't come lightly skipping into your presence in a cavalier way as if nothing eternal is at stake. No, God, we come desperate. And so we come bold. The boldness of those who are so desperate that we know if you don't move, if you don't speak, if you don't sustain, we won't make it. We have no hope without you. You are our everlasting joy. You are our everlasting peace, our everlasting hope. And we know that in this moment, apart from you, we can do nothing. So move in power. Speak with clarity. cause our hearts to open up to receive the sunshine from on high. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the third Sunday of Advent. If you've been tracking with us, we've been telling you what Advent means. Advent is not just four weeks of celebrating Christmas. Advent means coming, but in the Christian tradition, it doesn't just look at the first Advent, but also at the second Advent. And we've said in the book of Acts, this passage puts us into that frame of mind because in verses 1 to 3 of Acts 1, you have the first Advent. In verses 9 to 11, which Kenny will preach next week, we have the second Advent, and in between is where we live. In between is where we are. And what we do is we don't just celebrate 
the first advent. We anticipate the second advent and in between as we look back and as we look forward. When we look around, we mourn. We lament. We grieve when we see all that is broken. But we don't just mourn and lament and grieve when we see the the brokenness around us, but when we see the lostness around us, the darkness around us, we do not just mourn and grieve and lament. We have a mission from the Lord Jesus. And that's what this week is all about. Verse 8 helps us expand our vision so that we actually understand what the Lord has for us between the Advents. So in this text, we actually have a commission from the Lord Jesus, but actually it is a promise. It's not just a command. It's not just a charge, do this. It is a promise. In verse 8, you have two promises. The first promise, you will receive power. The second promise, you will be my witnesses. And then third, there's a sphere where this promise will be true. And that is everywhere. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. So first promise, you will receive power. Second promise, you will be my witnesses. And the sphere for those promises is everywhere. So let's, let's begin by working our way down to verse 8 to remind ourselves what this conversation has been. It's a conversation we're joining already in progress. In verse 6, we have the question about the kingdom. And in the first advent, what we noted is that the question makes perfect sense. When Jesus comes and he begins talking to them about the Spirit of God and about the kingdom of God in verses 3 through 4 and 5, the natural expectation of the disciples is that when the Spirit of God comes in the latter days and the kingdom of God is going to be here, they're asking, is it now? That you're going to restore the kingdom? That is, are you going to restore the monarchy to Israel like we once knew? Is it going to go from sea to sea again like under David and Solomon? But we saw that Jesus needed to get out his red pen and he needed to correct all of their misplaced expectations and even definitions about what restore and about what Israel and the timing of now he needed to correct all of that. Then we saw in verse 7, him beginning to do it. Verse 7, he corrects their understanding of the timing of the kingdom. They're saying, is it now? And Jesus mercifully takes it off their plate and says, that's not your focus. Your focus is here in verse 8. Here's the point. Point in verse 8. Jesus gives his disciples power to be his witnesses by his spirit so that his kingdom 
will reach the ends of the earth. When they want to focus just on Israel, he wants to focus his kingdom to the ends of the earth. So we begin with the first promise in verse 8, you will receive power. Let's read it again, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And like we did already in the previous sermons, we noted the, the stunning surprise of this, that if anybody was ever in a position to be ready, you would think it was the disciples, with all that they had seen, with all that they had heard, with all that they had witnessed about Jesus and his miracles and teaching and death and resurrection and many convincing proofs that he was alive, Jesus says, you're not ready. You, You don't have what you need. You lack. What do they lack? They lack power. How do they get this power? You notice that this promise of receiving power cannot be separated from a person. It's really a question not just about what power, but about who. How do they get this power? The third person of the blessed Holy Trinity. It's not just what you will have, it's who's going to come. You're going to have the very presence of the Holy Spirit. The empowering presence of God is going to be with you. There's no power without the coming of the Spirit. That's what they're waiting for. Jesus spoke of the baptism of the Spirit. He spoke of being clothed with power from on high. Now we know it's all about the Spirit coming. That's what they're missing. That's what they're waiting for. That's what the Harry in Jerusalem business is all about. Wait. You need the divine visitation of the Holy Spirit. To do what? This power connected to this person is connected directly to a task. Namely, you will be my witnesses. Did you notice that when he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses, he does not say, you will witness. You will witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. It's much bigger than an action. You will witness. So that there's these moments when you're going to witness. He says, not what you'll do, but who you are. A witness is who you are. It's not on again, off again. Sometimes you're you're this, sometimes you're not. He says, this is who you are all the time. You will be my witnesses. That means you're going to be this wherever you go. Whenever you are, wherever you go, this is what you're called to be. The challenge of this is that this is not just something that you do when you write your Christmas card, now I'm a witness. This is something that you are everywhere that you go. So for example, for me, Everywhere that I go, I try to call this to mind. 
if I go to the gas station, if I go to the pet food store, I'm a big dog, he eats a lot, I go there often. If I go to a restaurant and I see the same people especially, what I'm trying to do early on is stake a claim about who I am. If you want to have a conversation with me, you're going to hear about Jesus. When the Bible says, when Christ who is your life appears, you will appear with him. That means how do you go about your life separated from Christ when he is your life? So when I walk into the gas station, I'm really thinking this, Lord, help me be a witness. However it comes up. So if you're with me in a first conversation with someone and they want to say, isn't the weather great for December in Minnesota? I'll say, Jesus has really given us a beautiful day. And I don't need to say much more in the, in the first encounter with them because it's going to be more. And I'm trying to stake a claim early on. This is who I am. This is what I believe. I, I can't think of the weather apart from Jesus. I can't think of anything apart from Jesus. It's just who we are. You will be my witnesses. Now, we're going to talk later about why this is so hard. Sometimes we have to not just say, hey, this is newsflash for you. You're supposed to be a witness. If you're raised in church, you all know this. It's not a lack of understanding that we're supposed to do this. So what is it? What's the disconnect? Why is this so hard? Why don't we often witness? Why can we talk about life apart from Jesus? One of the reasons here I just want to name is sometimes we're afraid that we might be asked a question that we might not be able to answer. What if they ask us about the Nephilim or the ceiling of the 144,000 in Revelation? Well, number one, they're not going to. But number two, that's not what a witness is. When a witness is called to testify, they're not called to talk about what they don't know. They're called like the demoniac in Mark 5 when Jesus says, go to your family and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. If you are a Christian, you don't have to think very long about what great things the Lord Jesus has done for you. That's what we're called to testify to. Lloyd-Jones says it this way, a church which is not actively witnessing to Jesus and concerned about the lost is not worthy of the name of the church of Jesus. If the church is called to witness to Jesus and the church is not witnessing to Jesus, it's a church unworthy of the name of Jesus. We're just confusing people. But there's a sphere where this is going to be true here at the end of verse 8. Let's read it again. But you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus, in other words, in Acts 1.8, every major commentary that I saw would say this is the theme verse of the book of Acts, like the road map. It's saying, you're going to be my witnesses when the Spirit comes upon you, game changer for your witness, and your witness is going to fill first Jerusalem, Acts 1 to 7, and then Judea, Samaria, Acts 8 through 12, and then the ends of the earth, Acts 13 to 28. This is the roadmap for the rest of the book of Acts everywhere they go. Not just at certain moments, special seasons of time, events. Everywhere they go, they testify to Jesus. You would look high and low in the book of Acts to find a place where it's not a witness to Jesus because it's who they are all the time, wherever they go. Now, where did this idea originate? All Paul Poteet jokes about me to the side, it is here in Isaiah. Isaiah actually has this. Like when you're in sports, like in football, a coach has a, a playbook. Isaiah is the playbook for the New Testament. Let me show you. Acts 30, or sorry, Isaiah 32 talks about the, the coming of the Spirit. In Isaiah, the, the nation of Israel looks prosperous. They look fruitful. But Isaiah says in a year, there's going to be judgment and desolation upon the nation of Israel. And out of that desolation, the question is, how long will it last? The answer is in Isaiah 32, 14. For the palace is forsaken the populous city deserted, the hill and the watchtower will become dens forever, a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field. You can see why the disciples are asking this question. We know when the Spirit comes, the desolation's going to end and it's going to be reversed. Like, is it now? And Jesus says, you don't understand what kingdom means. It's not just here for Israel. In Isaiah 42, the servant is going to come. God delights in him. God's Spirit is going to rest on him. He's not going to break a bruised reed. He's not going to put out a lightly smoking flax. He's not going to grow discouraged or weary until he brings justice and the work is done and he's a covenant for the people and a light for the nations, not just for Israel. And when the servant comes, he's going to renew a people with a mission to be his witnesses. Isaiah 43 Verse 9, the nations will gather and assemble and there'll be a need for witnesses. And then Isaiah 43, verse 10, God says, you are my witnesses. 
declares the Lord, my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before, before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. And wherever they go in the book of Acts, this is the message. You are my witnesses that I alone save among all of the counterfeit gods and hopes of the world. You will declare that you know who saves. You know the only one in whom there is hope. You know that in this name there's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus. You are my witnesses. And then, in Isaiah 49, the Father says to the Son, Isaiah 49, 6, it is too light a thing that you would be my servant only to raise up the tribes of Jacob, only to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach where? the ends of the earth. When these disciples hear ends of the earth, they should be thinking Isaiah 49, 6. This is the moment that we got to overhear of the Father talking to the Son, and the disciples should understand that time is now. That promise is here. And as the Father says to the Son, I'm going to make you a light for all the nations, the third person of the Trinity says, and I'm going to give the power to make it happen. Now, don't miss how we move then from Isaiah to Acts. When you have Jesus coming, the Spirit is on Him and he is the servant. In the book of Acts, this task is transferred to the disciples. The same spirit that was on Jesus to accomplish his mission is now on them to accomplish his mission still. So much so that in Acts 13, Paul can actually quote Isaiah 49, 6 with reference to himself. Acts 13, 46, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. This is that moment. It's been the, the witness of Christ has filled Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now Acts 13. It's going to the ends of the earth, going to the Gentiles. For the Lord has commanded us, saying, Isaiah 49, 6, I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. How can Paul quote a text in Isaiah 49, 6 that was about the Father speaking to the Son about Him being the one that's going to bring about this salvation. Answer, Jesus, the servant of the Lord, pours out his spirit so that they can be servants of the Lord to continue the mission 
of the servant of the Lord. The task has been transferred to us as the Spirit is given. So, if we go back to Acts 1.8, we notice something stunning about this mission. And this is upon all of us today. If the task has been transferred, he first says, you're going to be my witnesses. When the Spirit comes upon you, you're going to have power to witness in Jerusalem first. Notice something about culture and about geography. The first place you're going to be a witness, he says, is a place that's both geographically near and culturally near. People that are like you, that you understand, that you know, you share their customs and their culture and everything else and their language. And you're going to be my witnesses among them. That might be like our family or our twin cities. Maybe people that are more like us, that share our language, share our culture, share our customs, share maybe even with our family our history. You're going to be a witness there, but not only there, he says. Also in Judea, which is still close culturally near and geographically near, maybe out a little bit, but he says, and in Samaria. Geographically near, culturally far. You're going to be my witnesses there. No excuse to look at the barrier and say, I'm not like them. Maybe even at this point, I don't like them. Jesus says this gospel is going to overcome every barrier and every hurdle. This salvation must reach everyone, and for that to happen, the gospel has to bring peace where there's enmity. And it has to bring confidence to share where there's fear, fear of the other. And then the ends of the earth, geographically far and culturally far. Even those peoples that have a different language and are in a different place, the gospel must go there as well. It's about the kingdom of God filling this earth. That is the task in front of us. Now, Acts doesn't just draw from Isaiah. If I were to ask you what book in the Old Testament most resembles the book of Acts, what would you think? What would you say? Acts is most like this Old Testament book. I believe that the answer is Joshua. Just like you have the foundation story in the first five books of Moses from creation and paradise to the promised land and then conquest, in the same way you've got the foundational books of the New Testament in the Gospels and Jesus telling them, as the Father sent me, so I send you, and Acts is the new conquest narrative of the nations, but this time not the physical sword bringing bloodshed, but the sword of the Spirit 
because the blood has already been shed for the nations to come to Him. So everywhere that they go with this sword of the Spirit proclaiming the blood of Jesus, the nations are one. Saved, not killed. So let's apply this. Let's dig a little deeper into this. Let's linger for a moment upon the link between the, the who and the what. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That is a link that cannot be broken. Meaning, for Christians, we have the promise of His power and His presence when we are declaring Him. Not when we're declaring whether we are pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine. Not when we declare to others whether we are for mass or against mass. Not when we say we are Republican or Democrat, pro-Trump, pro-Biden, whatever. That's not where the power comes. That's not what the mission is. What would our witness look like in 2020 if we had not sought political power so much but spiritual power? What if, what would our witness look like differently? Ask yourself this question. Are evangelicals seeking more spiritual power that comes from the Spirit or political power? What is going to win the world more? And yet, where has the attention most been? And when we get to this point... We have to understand we're not a homeschool church or a public school church or a private school church or a vaccine church or an anti-vaccine church or a mass church or an anti-mass church. We're a Jesus church. And we are going to proclaim His name not only when we're here gathered together, but when we're scattered abroad. Which means whenever we share Him, we understand we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Like Spurgeon, who used to climb his many steps up to his pulpit at the Metropolitan Tabernacle, each step he said, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I do this. Not just when I walk up these steps. Sometimes I wish there were more. (laughs) But my steps to the gas station. My steps to the pet food store. or the miles you sometimes drive to see your family. When the Christmas card goes out, when the phone call is made, under your breath, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Why don't we witness? Some of us might say, well, it's COVID. We're in a holding pattern. We might say, well, lack of effectiveness. It'd be easy if every time we shared Christ with a crowd, 3,000 people were saved. We'd be more motivated to do it then. We'd become a little jaded, a little cynical when we share Christ. And not only does no one come to him, 
but many reject us as well. Sometimes we don't witness because we're afraid, fear of man, awkwardness. We're afraid that it feels forced, it feels unnatural. We fear not having the answer. Sometimes we just feel like a spiritual screw-up. And the the voice of the enemy whispers, you're going to share Jesus? After what you just did? After all the times that you've screwed up and failed? You think you're the best person to share Jesus? How do we overcome? How do we overcome these fears? Well, let's let's start with that last one first. You're going to share Jesus after all the ways that you screwed up? You think you're the best person to share Jesus in that moment? When the tempter is telling you all the ways that you fail, that becomes ammunition to share the gospel because you're not sharing yourself. You're not sharing, look at me, follow me, do everything that I do. You're saying, I'm a failure too. And the blood of Jesus is enough. It's not that we have the the perfect and the not perfect. We have the forgiven and the unforgiven. And we are among the forgiven. And we get to testify to that, that that is what matters. And every failure and confession and forgiveness is another reason to share Jesus. Not because we've got it together, but because Jesus holds us together. And that sense of weakness is exactly what we need to share him. He's got more than enough strength of his own. He doesn't need yours. He just needs your weakness. Not your ability. It's your availability to share him. But, but what about if you say, you know, sometimes I just feel cynical. I just, when I share Jesus, I don't, I don't see the results, and it, I, it therefore feels like, when is the right moment? Well, not just is all the time the right moment. There are special seasons that the Lord gives. There's, in the history of the church, sowing and reaping. And just because you're not seeing the reaping doesn't mean it's not time for sowing. Quite the opposite. There's not going to be reaping without sowing. And the more sowing that you do, the more reaping there will be. And he's given us a golden opportunity now when all of our nation is in the Christmas season. People almost expect to get Christmas cards and letters We should be taking advantage of every opportunity. Redeem the time. Walk with wisdom. And if we have a season set up where it's a natural bridge to share Jesus, then let's do it. Let's write the Christmas card. Let's call that person. And if you wonder, is he going to do any good? Am I going to say it well enough? I've used this analogy before, but I just love it. I'm going to say it again. When I was a a kid, I read a story about 
uh, a little boy that had learned to play the piano. And, you know, when you start off, like, you only know a few songs, and he knew the dun-dun-dun, da-dun-dun-dun-dun. So they're at this uh, concert where this grand piano master is going to be playing. And what normally happens before the concert starts is the mom took the son who had just been learning to play the piano, and the mom was talking to her other friends. And like children do, they know, they know when you are not paying attention to them. And then it's like, what am I going to get into? So he sees this grand piano up on the stage, just waiting for him. And he goes up there and he does the only thing that he really can do. Plong, 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 plong. And everybody's like horrified, especially the mom, feeling all kinds of mommy guilt at this point, runs up there to whisk her son away. And at that moment, to her horror, the grand piano master comes out. But he says, don't, don't stop him. This young man, that's beautiful. Will you keep playing? Yes, okay. Plunk, plunk, plunk. And he comes behind him with his fingers and starts playing in perfect alignment all of these chords, all of this sound sounds like an orchestra, and the little boy's like, wow, this is going well. You see my point, right? Who are we? We're not the grand piano master. We're the plunkers, and you don't need to be the grand witnessing master because you already have him. He's called the Holy Spirit. All you have to do is do what you can do as the witness of Jesus. Plunk away knowing that the Spirit has been given and will do the work. If you would go to the Gospel of Luke, I wonder how many of you do this like I do sometimes. You, you think about a, a task that needs to happen and you look ahead, like, when does it need to be done by? And then you kind of work your way back. Well, in order to get it done at this time, I need to do this and this and this and this. Work your way backwards. You can do that in Luke chapter 16. When you take the eternal perspective, there's a story about what's happening to somebody in hell. Story of the rich man and Lazarus. He lived it up for this world, had all the world's riches and he dies and he goes to hell. Have you ever wondered what somebody in hell would say? He asks for two things. Number one, relief. Send Lazarus that he would give even a drop of water because I am burning in this torment. I think we could all anticipate that one. You know the other thing he asks for? Evangelism. I've got five brothers. Send Lazarus to tell them, to warn them that they would not come to this place. Brothers and sisters, we have it. We know eternally what people in heaven would say and what people in hell are saying. 
And if we know that, we know that that the commission in front of us, when we boil everything down to what matters most, they're not asking in heaven, wishing we had had more money, we had had more free time, we had had more luxury, and they're not asking in hell if I had only had that job, that car, that house. If I only heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and believed... And therefore, as we look ahead with anticipation, we also look ahead with horror. If you don't know Jesus, turn to Him now. Run to Him now. He will receive you. He will not cast you out. His blood will wash away every sin. And if you see those struggling with appalling lostness in our world and they don't know, Jesus promised, I made you a witness. And when you declare me, you will have my power. Let's pray. Father, I pray, as we think about the the shepherds on that day, hearing the angels, the announcement of good news of great joy, and they have to make haste. And we think of the the magi traveling many miles. And we know more. We see more than they ever saw, than they ever knew. So why would we respond less than them? Our desire should be more to go tell it on the mountain, everywhere. Oh God, I pray, take our fledgling attempts to be witnesses. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would be the grand piano master and that Jesus would be lifted up and that you would draw many. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.